0: This year's preaching theme has been Hope Starts Here. And so the first Sunday morning of each month, we have been talking about the hardships of life and where we can try to find hope. And, and I think that's important because suffering presents great challenges to our faith. And uh, I felt like if you grew up in the pews, you might have got bad information about suffering and why is suffering. And sometimes. We are even told there's not answers given to us by God about, about these things. The, you probably know that uh, one of the prime arguments of those who do not believe in God is that if there is a God, then why is there evil? Why is there suffering? Why is that going on? And to think that God has not answered that question, I think, is completely erroneous, that there are lots of answers God gives for that. And we've talked about some of those in the past few lessons. And this morning, we're going to look at another answer God gives. And in my mind, I believe we've got one more or two more yet ahead uh, in some future lessons as well. And this morning, we're going to talk about having hope uh, when hopeless. And I think it's important that we look at some of these things because God is not intended for us to live in ignorance as the basis of our worship, but explains these things to us to help us in such hard times. As was just read for us, we're going to spend most of our time in the Gospel of John. If you have your Bibles, we'll be in John 9 uh, to begin with. And as we were just looking at, as Matt read for us, uh, you have a really interesting scene that unfolds here as Jesus and his disciples are walking along. In verse 1, we're told that they're passing by and they see a man who is blind from birth. And the disciples ask a question, who sinned, this man or his parents? And, and I think this is an interesting question that they ask. And one of the things that I think is interesting about it is because this is often the the way we track when it comes to hardships in life is essentially who did something wrong somebody must have done something wrong for this situation to be the way that it is and that's what you see them asking that the question that they put together I think is fascinating when they say well it must have been him or it must have been his parents. Which is it that that we should be looking at? And, and that's the question they pose: Who did the wrong? Somebody must have done something wrong. And sometimes we feel that way. And I'll say for for me, for for this lesson and coming out of John, that this uh, these texts have been. So helpful for me in the various trials and difficulties that we face, because sometimes this is what you start with is well, somebody's done something wrong. What did what did I do wrong? What did somebody else do wrong? And notice that the disciples are asking that as well, that common kind of point of belief to think, well, somebody did something wrong, and so who sinned? Who's to blame? Why has this happened? And what Jesus answers, I think, is so important as we begin to walk through the answers that God gives in regards to the way the world is and why it's that way. Is notice the first half of the answer in John 9 and verse 3, when Jesus answers, it is not that this man sinned or his parents sinned. And just stop there with that answer as he begins. Here is a man who was born blind. And Jesus begins by saying it's not something he did and it's not something the parents did. That's not the reason why. And one of the things that God is trying to show us is that suffering is not always the result of someone's sin. Now, when we looked at the book of Job, you see that, where, remember, the friends think that. Job, you must have done something wrong, where the whole of the book is establishing, no, Job had not done anything wrong for all the things that were unfolding in his life. And Jesus is presenting the same answer here, is that this is not the direct result of someone sinning. This man didn't do something wrong. His parents didn't do something wrong. That's not the answer to look for. And I think it's an important reminder that certainly... There are things where we suffer as a result of our, of our sins. We can certainly point to Adam and the fall, and that's why the world is the way that it is, and they're suffering and things like that. But that's not always the answer. And for the disciples, they want to point to someone and say, here's the reason why. Somebody did something wrong, right, Jesus? And Jesus' answer is a resounding no. But notice the answer that's given. In verse 3, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. When we went through the gospel of John, it was like 10 years ago. I, I, I sat on this answer and thinking about what Jesus is saying. It's not that the blind man sinned. It's not that his parents sinned. Here's the reason for this man's suffering. The reason is so that the activity and the power of God would be seen. That's a really strange answer, if I can be fair. This is to display the works of God. God's works are going to be on display in this moment. That The glory of God is going to be seen here. Now, I want you to hold that answer in your mind. Because in two chapters, probably one page over in your Bibles, in chapter 11, a similar situation arises where Jesus gives a similar answer. And I want to look at in John chapter 11, in John chapter 11, and you'll notice in the first few verses, we have Lazarus and we're told that he's ill and he's not ill with, you know, just kind of something light, but sends a message to Jesus that the one whom you love is ill. The point is that that Lazarus is about to die. The sickness is going to ultimately lead to his death. And that's why a messenger comes and sends the message from the sisters, Mary and Martha in verse three, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But notice what happens. It says, Jesus heard this and said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God that the son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. And those sentences have always grabbed my attention as well. Is here is Jesus. He receives a message that Lazarus is about to die. And the text plainly wants to tell us Jesus cares about Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. He loves them. In fact, the sisters in the message say, the one whom you love is ill. And then the text goes on to say, so Jesus stayed right where he was. Wouldn't you have expected Jesus to go running to Lazarus or he didn't have to be there. Just say, Lazarus be well. Done. Rather, Jesus does nothing. He stays exactly where he is and allows Lazarus to die. And notice the answer that Jesus gives as to why he's going to do this. Verse 4, it is for the glory of God that the son of God might be glorified through it. Notice a very similar answer to the John nine answer that the works of God may be displayed. In fact, Jesus pushes this a little bit further in verse 15, when after these two days go by and Jesus says there in verse 15, so I'm glad for your sake that I was not there so that you may believe. I've always been captured by that one. I'm glad I wasn't there. So that you may believe. And in both instances, what you see Jesus saying is that the reason for both of these situations is so that God can be glorified. And I hope that you think about this answer for a moment because it's a very curious answer for Jesus to say the works of God are going to be displayed at this moment or that God would be glorified that the son of God would be glorified That this is an answer that God gives on a repeat of sorts of why the world is the way that it is and the way God runs the world. The the Apostle Paul will say the same thing in in the book of Ephesians. In fact, in the first 14 verses of Ephesians chapter 1, you are going to hear the Apostle Paul declare over and over again that these things are to the praise God of his glory. Verse 6. God predestined us to be his children. To the praise of his glory. Verse 12, we have an inheritance so that we might be to the praise of his glory. We are sealed with the Holy Spirit until we obtain the inheritance to the praise of his glory. Over and over again, Paul is saying everything that is going on is ultimately for the praise of his glory. Jesus is walking around saying the events that are unfolding are ultimately to display the works of God so that God would be glorified to the praise of his glory. And then you might remember in John's gospel how frequently Jesus will describe his own death as glorification. Repeatedly, he will say that the son of man is going to be glorified and he's talking about his own death. He's talking about the cross. And he's talking about all the events that that are going to lead up to that and what that's going to look like. And so Jesus is saying the same thing. Here's where I want to start you with for you to think about in your minds. How can suffering be to the praise of God's glory? That should just be this almost counterintuitive, illogical concept on the surface. How can Jesus walk around saying this is for God's glory? When not we have the tendency, at least in human logic, to say everything going swimmingly perfectly as planned without problem or incident or issue would be to the praise of his glory? God would be glorified if everything went perfectly. That's how I think that would look. And God says, No. The suffering and the pain and what you're seeing going there, even the death of Christ is all going to be to the praise of his glory. Well, how can that be true? How can it be true that that's to the praise of God's glory? Why would God have a world like this where there is pain and suffering and wouldn't a lack of pain and suffering be to the praise of God's glory? Let me push this a little bit further then as we kind of think about what Jesus is talking about in in these two sections. Jesus says the man was born blind. So that the works of God might be displayed in him. And I believe that there is something far more happening here than Jesus just saying this man was born blind for this one moment when I come along and I heal him of blindness. There's something bigger at stake than just simply, he's blind and I'm going to heal him. And by the same token, the death of Lazarus was supposed to be so that God would be glorified through it. And again, I'm going to present to you that it's not just simply, I let him die so that I could raise him from the dead and there you go. That there's something bigger going on. Why would Jesus have to be glorified? Through suffering and pain. And I want you to think about all the different ways Jesus could have been glorified. Why isn't Jesus glorified by flying around like a bird? Right? I mean, we'd all go, wow, he must be God, he can fly. Or maybe to put it even more into the context of scripture. Why isn't it enough for Jesus just to walk on water... And he's God. Okay, we believe. Or why isn't it enough that he feeds 5,000? Okay, we believe. We took just a few loaves and a couple fish and boom, we got it. Why does Jesus have to be glorified through suffering and pain? You see the, what I'm putting forward? All the things that Jesus could do to show his glory. You know, stand here and make the sky open up and lightning bolts fly down or make the earth open up. or I mean, He could do anything. Anything at this moment. Make a mountain turn into a, a, a valley. Raise a mountain right before their very eyes. See, look, at I'm God. Mountain. Just build Mount Everest right there in Galilee. Boom. Must be God, right? Why is that not the way Jesus is glorified? He could do any of those things. And yet Jesus is walking around saying, no, my glorification is going to be through my own death, not making mountains out of the Dead Sea. My glorification is going to be through a man born blind. My glorification is going to be through the death of Lazarus. Why? Why? And here is one of the big answers that God is always trying to give us. And I'm not saying this is the only answer. I've already given you some other answers in this series. But This is a very critical issue and a very important issue for why suffering. It's the only way Jesus dies on a cross. If we don't have a world of sin, suffering, pain, and death. Jesus doesn't die on a cross. He would have come to the world and everybody would have embraced him. No, that's not going to help us. It's going to require what the Apostle Peter will say are lawless, sinful hands, Who are going to take him and have him killed. It's going to be through sin and through suffering. That's going to bring about our salvation. It's the only way that our salvation can happen. It's the only way for God to be able to bring us to himself. This is exactly what the Apostle Paul said. Listen to what he says in Romans chapter five. For while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For rarely will someone die for a just person, though for a good person, perhaps someone might even dare to die. And here's the sentence I want you to sit on for a moment. God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How much more than since we have been now justified by his blood, will we be saved through him from wrath? Now think about this sentence for a minute. The Apostle Paul says, this is the way God proves his love for us. And I want you to question that idea for a minute because I want you to think about all the different ways God has shown his love for us. He's shown his love for us by there even being a creation. (laughs) For this to even exist in the first place. For there to be the galaxies and the planets and everything that exists. For, For God to even put this here, he could say, here is how God proves his love for you There is a planet Earth, and it gives you water, and it gives you food, and it gives you everything. You're even here. Or God could say, God proves His love for you by you even breathing right now. That shows He loves you. You're alive. Doesn't that give you love? Or God could say, I'm taking care of you. Did you eat yesterday? Did you have your provisions? Did you have everything you needed? I'm proving my love for you because I gave you what you need yesterday. He could do that. He could say, I proved my love for you by making you relational people. He could say, you know what? I could have made it where we were all completely autonomous and didn't care about anybody. So independent that we didn't have relationships whatsoever. And so we all just kind of did our own thing, but he created relationships, love and family and friendships. I made you so that you would be relational and enjoy your life here. So I'm proving my love for you that you can have relationships and have such deep connections, deep connections that will last to eternity. And that's not his answer. God could say, I've shown my love for you by worship. I've given you the means to know me, to worship me, to come into the very presence. You can pray to me, talk to me, proclaim your praises to me. I'm showing you my love by, by coming near to you so that we can be together and you can worship me. Or how about we talk about status? God proves his love for us is that we're called children of God. In fact, the Bible even says that one time about the importance of who we are. But in all of those things, the Apostle Paul does not say that. He he could have just gone through a long list and just gone on and on and on about here is the love of God on display. And yet the Apostle Paul zeroes in on one point. The greatest display of God's love, the greatest display of his glory is that while we're sinners while we're enemies and while we were helpless jesus goes to the cross and friends that can't happen without a world of sin pain suffering it doesn't happen Unless God allows a world to be where sinful people can do what they will and that there would be a world of suffering and that there would be a world of loss and a world of death. It's the only way God can display his ultimate love for us. Let me state it in a different way. The reason for suffering is so that God could suffer for us. And the reason why the innocent suffer is so that the truly righteous innocent one could suffer for us. And the reason for death So that God could die for us. This is the resounding answer that God wants to give of why the world is what it is, is because without these things, God can't save us. God can't rescue us. God can't redeem us. God can't bring us near to himself is that he's going to do this to display his greatest works, his greatest love and his greatest glory. And this is why you have places in the scripture like John 15 and 1 John 3:16 that there is no greater love than to lay down your life for someone else. I love how Jesus says that to his disciples. Jesus says, No greater love is that uh, to someone to give their life or lay down their life for their friends. And this very next breath is, I call you my friends. I call you my friends. I'm going to give my life for you. First John three sixteen says the same thing. That if we truly love, then we lay down our lives. The greatest display of love and the greatest display of God's glory is seen in the fact that he lays down his life for us. To have a world that exists where there is suffering, where there is pain and where there is loss is required so that Jesus can come and experience suffering, experience pain and experience loss On our behalf. So how does this help us? How do we have hope then when we are hopeless? Because Jesus' answer to suffering regarding the man that was born blind was that this is to display the works of God. Jesus' answer to his disciples about the death of Lazarus is that this is for the glory of God. And what Jesus is not merely doing is saying... I'm going to use these two people as a random one-off miracle because, you know, I haven't done enough miracles and I'm going to throw a couple more out there for you just to make sure to validate the point that I can do anything. You have Jesus trying to explain the concept of why suffering is that God is going to be glorified through the suffering that we cannot be saved unless there is pain, suffering, sin. And death. So this is our first point then. So when we suffer, life hasn't gone horribly wrong. And I feel like that's usually the the biggest thing I can't get my hands around sometimes. Something's gone wrong, right? No. Nothing's gone wrong at all. The world must be this way for God to save us and to show us his glory. There is no alternative. The world must be this way for God to be able to do what is necessary to save us. So when we go through difficulties, trials and hardships and suffering, it's not that life has gone horribly wrong, but that God has put the world into existence in this way so that he could rescue us. This is the biggest answer. But then the second thing that is so important that goes along with it is that then we are looking for God's glory in the suffering and loss. I didn't understand this conversation very well when April and I had it when we left Miami, when we'd gone down there the second time and got the diagnosis for grace. We were driving on the way. I remember almost none of that. That was just this catatonic drive back. And the only thing we could say to each other was, well, somehow this has to be used for God's glory. Somehow we're going to see the glory of God on display in this. As difficult as it is and as painful as it is. Because that's what Jesus is walking around saying. God can be glorified through this. God can be glorified through the pain. God can be glorified through your suffering. That God is absolutely at work through that. And so the, 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 the question that was pushed back upon me is to not waste that. To see how God is going to be glorified in the moment and see how I'm going to glorify God in the moment. What am I going to do so that God is glorified through this moment and would I stand back and watch God to be glorified in the moment? You might remember lack of time, but John 11, you have the sisters coming to Jesus, and they're, in some ways, I don't think it's fair to say challenging him. But they say, if you had only been here, brother wouldn't have died. You can feel the pain of that. I I know your power, Jesus. If you had been here and they had no idea what he was about to do, they didn't know what he was accomplishing through that. They didn't know where that was all going. I think about the man born blind in John 9. Neither he nor his parents would have known where all that was going. You just live in your whole life in that suffering and difficulty. and the parents won't know why and the man, he's grown up now and he's sitting sitting there looking to be receiving help from people who walk by. And none of them would have had any idea where this was all going. And what we have to do in those moments is to look for what God is going to do to be glorified in that, And will I spend my time then trying to see how I can glorify God in the moment? What will I do in my suffering so that God's glorified in that time? How will God be glorified in that space and in that circumstance? We recently did the book of Philippians. Remember, this is what the Apostle Paul is saying. Paul is not sure the outcome of his imprisonment. He thinks he's going to be released, but that's not an absolute given. And so he speaks of this, not sure which way this is all going to play out. And he says this, it's my eager expectation and hope that I will not be ashamed about anything, but now as always with all courage, that Christ would be highly honored in my body, whether by life or by death. You know what the Apostle Paul saying? If God keeps me alive, and I continue on, then I'm going to be looking for how Christ can be honored in my body. And if I don't make it out of this prison, then I'm looking for how Christ is going to be honored in my death. Because for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. That's the message that the Apostle Paul puts forward. It's the message that Jesus puts forward. And it's really, then, I hope for us a hope when times are difficult and when life feels hopeless. The number one, we understand that nothing has gone wrong, that God continues to rule over the earth. He is sovereign over all things, and he has allowed this world to be the way that it is. It is planned for a world of sin and suffering and death and pain so that our salvation could be achieved. There's no other way to accomplish it. Jesus must die. And that's the only way for our redemption. Therefore, the world must be in the condition it's in for that to happen. Number two, that we then look to see what God may be doing in our circumstance. I think April and I have probably helped countless people Because God's exposed us to a world that we did not have any contact with until now. People that we wouldn't be able to relate to, people that we wouldn't be able to understand, people that we wouldn't be able to support. One of the greatest things you're able to see Is God being glorified in the midst of your suffering as you are helping other people see God through their suffering? And you're able to walk with them. And you're able to go up next to them. And you're able to say, God got me through this. And God can get you through it. And so seek to honor God as you walk through your circumstance. So that God is glorified, whether by life or by death, whether through suffering, pain or loss in all things, God receives the glory. And that the world had to be this way because God's full intention was so that you and I could be with him for eternity. Let's go to God in prayer. Lord, this this world can be so painful. It can be very hard, Lord, to live in this life and to experience the amount of pain and suffering that we end up experiencing in this world. God, I pray that you would fill us with hope when we feel hopeless. And Lord, that you would help us to understand that it's not that life has gotten out of control or that you are not in control or that you're not in charge. But that the only way to save sinners, Lord, is that There would be suffering so that your son could suffer. That there would be pain so that your son could have pain for us. And that there would be death so that your son would die for us. Lord, help us to always have our eyes on that greater goal of eternity. And Lord, help us to see your love for us through your son, through his suffering, pain, and death. And God, as you give us hope and give us courage, I pray that you would help us to see your glory through our suffering. Help us to see your hand at work as you try to move us to glory. And Lord, help us to honor you and glorify you in our circumstances. Help us in all of our difficulty to always point to you. And Lord, that any time we would feel alone or that we would feel crushed, Lord, come to our side. Give us encouragement. Give us comfort. And Lord, remind us how much you love us and that you are always here for us, that you never leave us and forsake us. Help us to experience that comfort, Lord, and let us to allow us to rest on your promises. In Jesus' name, amen i knew when i was signing up for 2021 and said we're going to need to talk about hope it was going to be a hard year to do that but we need it we need to hear what god says to us to give us the encouragement we need And I hope you'll hear the gospel message to you is that this is how much God loves you. In our weakened, sinful condition, he died for you. He experienced pain for you. And he suffered for you so that you could be with him. And we help you come to Jesus anyway this very morning. Turn away from your sins. Follow Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. I want you to come and do that now while we stand and while we sing.